I mean, I don't know why you would want to go and join a conference where there's 16 to 18 when you can be in a conference of 10 to 12. Um, your opportunity, particularly when the top six rated conferences have automatic bids and the top four get buys, um, why would you leave? That's University of Colorado Athletic Director Rick George talking about the Pac-12 conference. Do you want the backstory on Colorado's hire of Deion Sanders? We interview Rick George on this episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. The splashiest hire of the college football coaching carousel offseason came in Colorado, where Rick George hired Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, now the head coach at Colorado. Rick George is going to join us on today's podcast episode, athletic director at Colorado since 2013, a guy who worked for the Texas Rangers in Major League Baseball. He was the chief operating officer of the Rangers, president of business. He also uh, has worked on the PGA Tour, the Champions Tour, and he's a former Colorado football recruiting coordinator. He's also got an interesting family history that we'll get into. John Wilner uh, is with me. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. Wilner, how do they find you? And we want to talk to Rick George. Bay Area News Group, and we're at the Pac-12Hotline.com and, and at media outlets across the conference. And frankly, I've been hoping to talk to Rick George in depth since what, when do they hire Dion? December 3rd, December 4th, I think it was. You know, it just, it's such an interesting hire on so many levels. It inter- inter- immediately transformed Colorado's football program into, you know, uh, something that's in the spotlight for the first time in a long time. And it makes the Pac-12 so much more interesting. Whether, whether Dion ends up winning two games or 10 games it is so much more interesting and i think it also falls in with this broader you know upturn in interest and potential success for the pac12 that kind of started with when lincoln riley got hired you know just what was it late november of 2021 right i mean you can see there's a little bit the trajectory of the entire conference on the football front is is ascending and I think the Dion thing fits in with that and, and could is certainly going to help one of the struggling programs become much more relevant. So many questions for Rick George and the Colorado Athletic Director is joining us now. Rick George, how you doing? Uh, it's great to be here with you guys. Uh, Happy New Year. You know, I would love to just dive right in. There's a ton of stuff to ask you about. I would love to just dive right into the Dion Sanders hire. Uh, I think that to me, that is uh, uh a ne- it was a next level decision on Colorado's part for a lot of reasons, and I have been very curious to hear your perspective on it. You guys made the change uh, like early mid October. What are you thinking at that point? Well, look, I mean, you know, my thought was is obviously that you know things didn't work the way we had hoped they would, and you know we were at a, a in my opinion, a really critical juncture in our history at, at Colorado. Um, you know, we, we've had this great history and tradition. We haven't lived up to that in the last 15 years. And this season was certainly one of the worst that we've had. So, you know, making the decision when we did, everybody said, well, if you're going to make it, make it early and it gives you more time. Well, it just gives you anxiety for two months versus two weeks. 
Um, but, um, you know, we felt like we needed to make that change and we needed to go out and hire somebody that really can change and transform, you know, this program into what it should be in a short period of time. And so we shot, you know, for the very best coaches in the country. We had a great list of uh, people that were interested and, and, um, you know, from day one, uh, Coach Prime was uh, on the top, and, and that's how we finished. And, you know, it was a lot of work by a lot of people. And, you know, we have a lot of mutual colleagues and friends, and I think those were all beneficial for us to uh, make him our head football coach. Rick, let me ask you, when you're when you're in mid that process, um, you know, who are you consulting with? Um, you know, how many people are trying to get in your ear, agents, boosters, coaches? You know, what is that process like for an AD? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, that's one of the reasons we hired Eastman and Bodine, uh, you know, to help because they help a lot with the logistics and getting information. And it's a place that people can go to to, you know, express their interest, because I think initially, you know, trying to do it uh, yourself, you know, just got overwhelming because there was an incredible amount of interest in the job. And I felt all along that our job was the best job out there. And um, and and there was a, a, a ton of interest. And you know, we, we, you know, it, it was hard because there was so much. And, you know, what I wanted to do was talk to them on the phone, meet people in person if I could. Uh, and I talked to some people multiple occasions um, because I wanted to do a thorough job because I knew uh, the importance uh, in our history of this job right now. And I wanted to do my due diligence and um, you know, I had some people that I consulted with and I'm, I won't name them, but, um, you know, that had ties to see you, uh, nationally and, uh, they were very helpful for me to bounce things off of. But I think one thing from the start was, you know, that, uh, coach prime was the guy that, you know, was at the top of the list and he ended at the top of the list. And, you know, there were a lot of nuances in between when we started and when we finished. Were you following his career closely before you needed a head coach? No, not not so much, uh, John. It, it was really more, um, you know, I, I started following once our search opened. And certainly, you know, I think most ADs have a list, a short list of people when they think they may make a change prior to making that announcement. And, you know, we started, uh, I started developing that and, Certainly, you know, saw the 60 Minutes interview and some of the other interviews, started looking at YouTube and, you know, doing my research uh, on him and others. But on him, there was a lot of material out there. Yeah, I bet. With the transfer portal being part of the equation now, it feels like, you know, he's the kind of coach with a high profile. He's played in the NFL. He can sell that to recruits and transfers. Uh, how, you know, with how, what role does the portal play? when you're looking at evaluating potential candidates in, in somebody like Coach Prime? Well, look, I mean, the portal is really important. And and I think the fact, you know, that you got to know how to, to navigate that, right? And you got to do it the right way. And, um, and, and today in this era, you know, the transfer portal and NIL, I said this a year ago when all this happened, that they collided at the same time. And um, you know, it really changed the direction of college athletics, in my opinion. So you have to be active in the portal. Um, you know, it used to be the junior colleges where you focused all your time when you needed, you know, immediate help in your program. And now you're focused on, OK, who's in the portal? Who can we get? 
Um, and, you know, that becomes a big part of what you do. And he certainly, um, he and his staff certainly know how to leverage and use the portal to um, our benefit. Did you know him before? Because I know you guys were both in Dallas at the same time. No, I didn't know him before. Again, I, there were a number of, of colleagues that we have and friends that we share um, that were helpful in that process. I talked very little to coach uh, through the process. We had a, a lengthy first phone call and really me just laying out what the opportunity was. At that point, I didn't know that if he was interested or not, but I was very candid about where we were at with some of the um, stuff out there about not being able to get transfers in. And, um, you know, we didn't have a great collective. And so, you know, you got to talk about the good and the bad. And and I think it's important that you lay that out because you don't want them to come in without knowing, you know, the total scope of, of this. So, you know, we had a lengthy first meeting and it was really mostly me laying out that we've got great facilities. We're in a great conference. Academically, we're sound. We live in this incredible place. We've got great programs for our student athletes. And then here's the couple things that are negative that we need to focus on and fix. Um, and, and we've done that. And then, you know, and, and we didn't talk much in between that and our own, one and only in-person meeting, um, you know, because he was totally focused on Jackson State. He wanted to be undefeated. He wanted to win the SWAC championship and he wanted to go to the Celebration Bowl. So um, I was cognizant of his wishes that, you know, um, he focus on what he's doing. And we met in person. And at that point, uh, we both had uh, things that we wanted to sell each other on. And I will tell you that, you know, I was blown away with how detailed he was uh, when we met and uh, what he thought he could do at Colorado. And um, again, we, we, I think we both have a mutual respect um, of each other. And, um, and, you know, we were able to make this happen. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it was right around Thanksgiving. He said, I'm coming and, um, and here we go. You know, it, before that, it was a little different than other coaching searches in that, you know, he publicly sort of acknowledged that he had an offer from you guys. And, and did you know at that time you had him or did that make you nervous? Or what was your reaction when you saw some of this go public? Yeah, well, I don't ever like it to go public. Um, so yeah, it, it, it caused a little anxiety for me because I, I try to be very confidential in these searches. But, you know, he got asked a question and he's going to tell the truth. And I tried to avoid having to answer questions. So, um, um, you know, he he said that and, and it is what it is. And it got our fan base uh, pretty riled up in a positive way. And, um, you know, which is good, but if I wouldn't have landed him, that wouldn't have been good. But, uh, you know, we were fortunate that, um, you know, he decided to be our head football coach. You know, some of the times I've thought, Rick, about this, that, oh, it's kind of like if Bill Walton spent two years at UC Riverside and then began coaching in the Pac-12 just because of the, you know, he's such a, Dion's such a celebrity and an icon. But what, I'm curious as to what you saw talking talking to him and, and seeing his approach that made you think that he was really serious about the art of coaching. 
Well, look, I, I think the one thing about him, and this is the thing that I, I hope everybody gets to see at some point, you know, you see all this other stuff and social media and, and things that he's doing, which is really good to connect with young people. But the person that he is was really what kind of turned me, um, not turned me, but just kind of said, okay, this is the guy because he's honest. Uh, you, you see, you, you get what you see and he's going to say what's on his mind. Uh, it's about discipline. It's about character. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I felt really good after getting to know who he was as a person and, you know, the X's and O's and the staff that he was going to bring and all that. I felt really confident about, but you know, what really sold me was who he is as a person. Is there a spe specific example that you could think of that really resonated with you on that front? No, it, you know, it was really just a combination of things. As we talked about things, we kind of shared the same values and the same um, thoughts and ideas that we had for our program. And, and he had done his research and I certainly had done mine. And, you know, we just... Um, created this um this bond i guess in the in the couple conversations that we had in person and on the phone and you know we trusted each other and he knew that if he came to colorado that we were going to provide the resources that he needs we were going to you know support the direction that he wanted to go in and um you know again i think we just both you know felt really good about um this uh, reunion or not this reunion, but this, um, um, you know, him being our head coach and me, me being there to support his efforts. You hear coaches all the time kind of talk about what they need. And, you know, Miami's building a, a football practice, a new football building operations building. Of course, you look around the PAC 12, you got resources and facilities. Is, is Deion Sanders asking, or did he ask Colorado to invest, to build, uh, you know, expand the budget. Uh, what kind of conversations, I guess, led to him saying, yeah, this is the right place for me? Well, look, I, I think it's we, we have the facilities in place. We have the programs in place. And if you look at the programs that we have for our student athletes, the Crawford family, whole student athlete with, you know, our, our you know, we've got five mental health practitioners or four um, that work in athletics. We've got an incredible career and leadership program. You know, we've got Kipman Labs that's doing all the data research for us on all these areas. Academically, we graduate our kids, our student athletes, excuse me. And, um, you know, so we have programs in place. We have incredible facilities. And when he saw all this, I mean, there's, you know, what he wanted is he wanted to be have the ability to hire the very best coaching staff that he can. That's why we put the salary pool where we did, uh, because we wanted to make sure that we got the very best coaches um, in uh, our program. And he's done a, 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 an overhaul. You know, he didn't keep uh, any of our former coaches and he's made some changes in recruiting and, um, and, and we support that. And that's really what we needed. I mean, he kept saying, well, what do you need? Why aren't you successful? I said, we need a leader uh, that's going to come in here and going to, you know, do his thing and, and get a staff that's great that can recruit and, um, and understands the landscape of college athletics. And with the NIL uh, and transfer portal changing all at the same time, you know, you have to be on top of that. And I felt like uh, he and, and the staff that he was going to bring in um, would, would do that. How did the conversations go with Chancellor DiStefano and, and President Salman 
in terms of convincing them that this sports celebrity with this giant personality and and you know multiple professional careers and was going to fit with institutionally with what Colorado aspires to look they they were very supportive of um you know coach prime bringing him in and um and and being our head coach and certainly um i think there's a lot that he can do um in a place like boulder uh, and um, I know he's committed not only to being a great coach and, and putting a great product on the field and winning, but he's also uh, committed to uh, being a solid community member where he can help affect change. Rick, the the change in sort of culture is going to be dramatic, and he's bringing you know his PR team, a reality TV show. Uh, you know, there's an there's an entourage, so to speak, that comes comes with this kind of hire, uh, but that. You, you had a news conference to announce them that, you you know, you had to send out an email saying, hey, overflow parking is available. And so that's all good. And then I'm guessing you got great reaction with season ticket commitments. Can can you maybe just take us through kind of, you know, how different this has felt at Colorado yeah. and and that reaction from the fan base? Yeah, look, I mean, our, our, I mean, it's I don't know what the right word is. I'd say it's crazy in a good way, um, you know. Everywhere, you know, he and I go to lunch and we come out of lunch and, you know, people, you know, welcome to Boulder, Coach Prime and pictures and, you know, little young, um, you know, boys coming up and, you know, wanting to take a picture with him. I, I think all of that is great. I mean, it's really energized our fan base, our alumni and in, in this, you know, Boulder and in, in the state of Colorado. And, you know, we'll sell out our season tickets this year. Uh, we're on a great pathway for that. Our social media followers in football have more than doubled um, since um, he came on board. All of our numbers from social media, from Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, are up significantly. And, you know, we're going to sell out our season tickets. We've got sponsors now that are coming to the table that want to be involved and engaged. Our merchandise was up 600 plus percent in the month of December and we didn't hire him until the fourth. And um, so I, I think all of those things are positive. We knew it was going to be like that. We, you know, we'll, we'll grow our uh, ticket revenue, uh, maybe a hundred percent in one year. So, I mean, that's the kind of impact that he's having financially uh, and from an exposure standpoint on our uh, department at the early stages. And you guys open your home opener is Nebraska, correct? Yeah, it is. Um, yes. So that helps. We got a great home schedule. Uh, we played Nebraska, Colorado State and USC for the last time. So that'll be positive. We start the year uh, at TCU, uh, who's uh, playing tonight uh, in the national champ game. So, um, yeah, we're, we're excited about that. What kind of I'm curious, what kind of head coach is he going to be? Is he going to be more of the you know, CEO type where he lets his coordinators run their units or is he more of a hands-on guy? Yeah, look, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about that, but I will tell you that, you know, he hired, you know, Sean Lewis to, to run that quick offense. And, um, you know, Sean's got a great reputation uh, for what he did at Kent State as a head coach. Yep. And he was on a lot of people's list as a head coach. Um 
And so we feel good about that. And then, you know, Charles Kelly, so he's got two guys. So I think, you know, John, without, you know, him and I having that discussion, I think it's, you know, he's going to be more the CEO and, you know, involved in recruiting and, you know, making, you know, critical decisions at different times, but hiring great people and letting them uh, uh, do their work. The conference is uh, amid its uh, media rights negotiations. When you make this uh, hire or when Deion Sanders becomes a candidate, immediate speculation that, you know, maybe Colorado knows something. Maybe, maybe you know, that a windfall is coming. How does, how does that, those, these two things fit together, Rick, when you look at media rights revenue and the hiring of a coaching staff and an investment in football? Well, look, I mean, you know, you know, George uh, Klievkov has a lot, you know, some work to do, and we're very confident in him getting a great media rights deal. And and I think one of the things, and I guess you know, a lot of things have to do with timing, right? And um, you know, we've got our our multimedia rights uh, relationship uh, in the next eighteen months that we have to negotiate our Nike, some of our pouring rights. Um, so there's a lot on the table and to make a hire like this that is going to provide uh, bodies and seats and enthusiasm and excitement for a program uh, means a lot. And it's really a combination of all of those things. Um, and plus the fact that the CFP is expanding and that's going to be significant for a lot of schools uh, in 2024. So, I mean, all these things are coming at the right time. So for us to make the change that we did, uh, while, you know, it was a difficult thing and Coach Durrell did a, a, a great job and I have a lot of respect for him, but uh, for us to move to this era now where uh, we have somebody that can really engage with young people, recruit, uh, and get some enthusiasm behind our program, I think the timing of all this for us has been really good. For those who don't know, Rick is on the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, and I'm curious, Rick, if you could connect the dots uh you know, realignment and playoff expansion. Do you feel like since the president's uh, university presidents came out in September and, and got a deal done to expand the playoffs starting in 2024, has that had an impact you think on the realignment situation, maybe slowed things down? Well, look, I, I mean, I don't know why you would want to go and join a conference where there's 16 to 18 when you can be in a conference of 10 to 12. Um, your opportunity, particularly when the top six rated conferences have automatic bids and the top four get buys, um, why would you leave? Um, you know, again, UCLA and, and USC did what they did at the time that they did it. And, you know, but now that they, it's expanding to 12, there's more opportunities. And, and, you know, if you're playing in a conference of 10 or 12, your opportunity to get one of those automatic bids um, is easier. Um, and, and I don't know that easy is the right word, but it's more likely, I guess. And um, so, again, I, I think it, it certainly will slow it down. Um, and hopefully we're kind of leveled out uh, for the next few years. And, and, you know, we can focus on on making our conference stronger and, and having opportunities. But again, I, I think for even the group of five schools, I mean, they're going to have an opportunity to be in there to to be in the playoff. And so I think for everybody, there's a lot of positive about uh, the expansion uh, of the playoff. But uh, realignment, I, I don't know 
you got to really look at does it really serve the purpose of what you want if football is really important to you to get into uh, the college football playoff? Because once you're in, there's 12 of you, you got an opportunity to win it. Rick, you know, back to the summer, the news comes out that USC and UCLA are are defecting. They're going to the Big Ten. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of questions, uh, a lot of noise out there. Uh, but the ADs that I've talked with have mostly said that this conference from from go was galvanized. Can you maybe speak to the kind of the the atmosphere in the back rooms after USC and UCLA uh, announced their departing? What that that first couple of few days after was like, and and you know was was there ever any truth to the four corners talking to the Big Twelve in all that noise that was out there? Look, the four corners have not talked to the Big Twelve. At least this corner hasn't. And um, I, I think, you know, in our room, and I talk about our AD room, I think there's a lot of commonality amongst the ADs in the room. And we're confident that with the right media deal, we become a very attractive uh, conference. And um, and we have a lot of confidence in, in George and, and his ability to negotiate a great deal. And, and yeah, you know, when, when UCLA and USC left, I think everybody looks over their shoulder a little bit, right? Uh, because you're like, what's next? And, you know, where are we going to be? And, you know, so I think in the initial phases, there was a lot of anxiety, which there should have been, um, you know, because we all care. And, and um, you know, but I think as things started to settle down, you know, there's some really cool heads in that in that room. And, and, you know, we met a lot. We talked a lot. We have a lot of respect for each other across the room. And um, and I think that was helpful to get us where we are. And now it's time for us to go out, get a great media rights deal and cement our place uh, in, in college football or in college athletics, period. Rick, where do you come down on the exposure versus revenue calculation that the conference is going to have to make with whether it's ESPN, Fox, Amazon, Apple, you know, we've all experienced what's happened the last 11 years with the Pac-12 networks. Do you chase the money? Or do you chase the visibility? Well, look, I, I mean, I, I think everybody that's, that's heard me out there over the last 10 years, I've been a proponent of the Pac-12 networks isn't good enough for us. Um, you know, I wanted, I'm in, I'm in LA and, uh, um, right now, and, and I couldn't watch our men's basketball game on the TV here in the hotel that I'm in. And so, um, you know, the distribution, I mean, that, that hurts when you're, um, not getting the exposure that you get, um, uh, from being on a PAC 12 networks, that's harmful. So I think both are really important. I don't know that one outweighs the other, even though we know the money piece is really uh, helpful for us to do the right things, to get the right coaches and all those kind of things. But there has to be a balance because we need that exposure that when we're not on a Fox or an ESPN or an ABC, we need to have that exposure on the other medium for us to uh, really be relevant and for people to be able to see our product. The football schedules usually out in December. It, you know, fans are asking, you know, where's the schedule? How long? You know, I, I anticipate it's coming anytime soon. But can you maybe give a little bit of context to what that process is like when you're looking at the models and you know what kinds of things might be causing a delay and maybe even where you stand on eight conference games versus nine moving into the future. Look, I, you know, I, I think, you know, strength of schedule is always going to be important. So whether it's eight or nine, I don't know that I have a, a an opinion that really um, 
outweighs the other one, whether it's eight or nine, I think eight would give us a little more flexibility to schedule, um, you know, a, a different kind of opponent. But if you look at our non-conference schedule, they're mostly power five schools. Uh, we think that's important because we think strength of schedule uh, is incredibly important uh, moving forward. But, you know, typically our schedule is out. We've had some nuances with that that we're working through, um, you know, with the conference. And, and my hope is, is that in the next 10 days we have that done. Rick, your experience on the, the Division One Council, I'm curious as to what you think of the current college football calendar, right? And if we add the you know, the 12-team playoff so that you've uh -huh. got games on campus, what, the second, third weekend in December, yep. transfer portal, early signing window, playoff, bowl games. Does something need to change with the calendar? Yeah, I think so. Um, look, I think I think December's a, a, a challenging month, particularly if you're elite and you're playing in, in these uh, bowl games and, and the college football playoff and you've got signing day, which is the, you know, was the 21st, I think this year, um, which is late. I think we need to look at all of that. I think it's really important for us to get the input from our student athletes, to get our input from the coaches and, and get the practitioners that participate in what that looks like, because it's a lot. Uh, there may be ways to do it with, you know, allowing, uh, other staff members to recruit in some ways so the coaches can stay on campus and coach and, you know, be around their student athletes. So I think there's, uh, I think we ought to just throw it up all on a, on a white screen and, and look at it and uh, figure out um, with the right people in the room to, to really change what college football looks like. 1987, Bill McCartney hires you as the recruiting coordinator at Colorado um, you end up uh, recruiting players who go on to post an 11 and 0 record. Couple, two, three years later, what did you learn in that job that still holds up in today's college football? Is um, you can outwork people. Um, and back in those days, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have uh, social media. We didn't, you know, we didn't have the platforms that we have today. And so we had to out, outwork people. We had to, you know, send handwritten notes and be relentless in, in our communication when we could be. And, um, you know, in those days, I mean, gosh, I used to travel four days a week uh, before they put rules into place to go out and recruit during the season, um, you know, at Illinois and then at, at Colorado. So, you know, you got to know what you're selling. You got to have the right audience that you're selling to. Um, and you got to be relentless in your pursuit. Was what Colorado sold, you know, 30 years ago, is that still sellable? Is, that, is there enough of a, you know, connect connectivity between the two eras? Yeah, I think there is. But, you you know, you got to be able to connect with young people. So you have to know how to navigate, you know, the social media aspect with TikTok and, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all these different mediums that you have today. You know, you've got to have coaches that understand that landscape and how they can connect and, you know, how they can uh, engage with with young people. So it's a lot different than it was when we had to send things through snail mail and, you know, um, you know, have a, a few phone calls here and there, but we didn't have cell phones uh, in 87. Um, you know, those started coming on board because uh, I had a box phone that I would call recruits from the sideline at the uh, Orange Bowl in uh, 89, 90 and 9091. So, um, but we didn't have cell phones for everybody and, and, and that was difficult. So we just tried to find ways that we could be better uh, than our competitors.
you're born in Illinois. You graduate from high school there. You put, you're a three-sport guy, and I'm big on family of origin. I, you know, I, I, I know we've talked about your dad. He was a meat packer, blue-collar, yep. hardworking. Tell us about what life in the George household was like growing up. <laughs> uh, I, I had four older siblings, and, and, and they made it difficult on me uh, a lot, but um, love them all. I got three older sisters, an older brother, and then two younger brothers and a younger sister. So I was kind of in the middle there. But, you know, my dad was a, a big disciplinarian. He was very strong in his faith. Um, and my mom was a hard worker as well. I mean, she had eight kids in 12 years. So, um, you know, and she unfortunately died really young, uh, in 2001 and my dad died in 2012. Um, but you know, my dad was a hard worker and his total focus was on the family. I take a lot from him and mom and, um, you know, on Sundays we'd all get together as a family and have dinner one time a week. And it's kind of how I structure my meeting structure is, that, okay, once a week, I'm going to get our key people together and we're going to talk about, you know, what's happened the past week and what's what we've got coming forward. And um, and I try to structure our, our, our meetings in those ways. But my dad was a hard worker. He worked two jobs to make sure we had what we needed. And my mom worked uh, odd jobs here and there to, to support that. And um, he was a disciplinarian. And whatever we did when mom was on watch, he came home and took care of when he got home. <laughs> Yeah. Now, you t I think once you told me your dad would get up to go to work at four o'clock in the morning, he'd get home at 3 p.m. and then he had a second job. I mean, did you get time with him or where did he carve out that time to connect with you? Yeah, he look, he he would he would go to work at four in the morning and that's when they would go on the kill floor. And, um, you know, he would do his job. He'd come home and, and sleep and he coached me and um uh, basketball and in baseball uh, when he could. And then at nights he would go do another night job. And sometimes I'd go with him on that night job. And it was a three or four hour at a, a different packing house. I think it was young uh, packing house in, um, in Noblesville, uh, Indiana. Um, and I would go with him sometimes. So, uh, but he was always present on the weekends with the family and um, you know, he and mom um, were there every night when we went to bed and, and that was always uh, good for us. Was there a connection you had with Bill McCartney that was at all like your connection with your dad? Yeah, kind of, you know, uh, Mac was really family oriented. And, you know, every Thursday we would have a family meal and, um, you know, he he was family was very important to who he was. And, and um, you know, it's important to me. And, and, and even in my role as the AD now, my granddaughter's go to everything. They've got a, a Barbie dream house in my office that they come to when they <laughs> Uh, come to my office that they can play with. And, um, you know, it's all about family. And, and I think I share that with Coach Mack. Yeah, I'm worried a little bit about college football fans, particularly families, as we talk about families and, you know, being priced out of college athletics, like, you know, they have in, been priced out of pro sports. And you've been part of this as, as it's grown. And, you know, I know universities are looking for new revenue and there's realities that come with that. But uh, how do you keep sort of your core fan base engaged and in, in the stadium you're talking about selling out so maybe there's not that problem in in colorado but um where do you stand on that as you look across the landscape well look i think it's always important that you have some pricing structure in place for families with children um because we need them there that's our future uh, that you have things for them to do when they come to the game and um, you know, this year we could have uh, increased prices. We didn't announce 
um, ticket sales until after we hired Coach Prime, but we chose not to uh, change our ticket prices, which we could have done and we could have sold them. But our fans have, have gone through enough over the past several years and they've been incredibly supportive, supportive of what we're doing. And and for us, I mean, I think we, in, in all institutions, I think we got to find a way to make sure that it's affordable uh, uh, for families to be able to come to games. So Rick, how should Colorado fans define success this upcoming season with your new coach? Well, look, we, we need to win. We need to win more than we lose. We need to go to a bowl game. We need to to build this quickly, but but be thoughtful about um, how we're building it so it's sustainable in the future. And um, we need to consistently win. We need to bring that back to our fan base because over the last few uh, 15 years, it's been very spotty on, on our ability to win. And so uh, we need to go to a bowl game this year. We need to win more than we lose. And then, uh, you know, um, and we continue to get better every year and consistently be in bowl games. And I think that's what our fans want to see. Rick, uh, before we cut you loose, uh, you know, I always like to ask best advice that you've ever received. What pops into your mind as I ask that question? <laughs> the best advice I've ever received is really to, to work hard, keep your head down. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Just focus on what your role is and how you can make the place better. Really appreciate you joining us. Uh, excited to see how your hire goes, especially in year one. Like normally, I think uh, the expectations are, are tempered, but I think uh, just the, the electricity that's been generated is fantastic. But thank you for uh, connecting with the Pac-12 fan bases out there uh, who are listening and and uh, appreciate your time, Rick. Thank you, guys. Thanks appreciate, time, Rick. It. appreciate it very much. Go Buffs. Wilner, what'd you think of that interview? You know, well, he's got between being on the college football playoff uh, selection committee and his experience on the Division One council with the NCAA and, of course, Colorado, he certainly can can address a lot of the issues, right? And we were focused on on Deion Sanders, but we could have had an entirely different separate podcast with him on the issues facing the Pac-12 and college football because there's so much going on. But I just thought it was fascinating hearing him discuss, talk about the, you know, evolution of pursuing Deion Sanders as a head coach and and how they had him. He felt like they had him locked up there in late November, and, and then it was just a matter of of waiting to get it done. I mean, when I when I hear him talking, I hear an athletic director who had a choice. Like it was a moment of truth for Rick George. He's got Carl Durrell. The enthusiasm is gone. Programs flatlining. What do you do? And you know, you can either get busy living or get busy dying, like to, to steal a Shawshank Redemption line. like, And he is saying they are investing and they're taking a big swing. And I love this because it's not only what Colorado needed, it's what the Pac-12 conference needed. It it's it you know gives some pizzazz to next season. And I'll never forget, like when they made the announcement that Deion Sanders had accepted the job, you know, the Big Ten championship game was happening. The SEC championship game was earlier that day and Rick George like essentially climbed to the top of the high dive and did a cannonball and and everybody start, started going hey wait look at Colorado and so I think we've talked more about Colorado football in the last you know month than the previous three or four years combined and so I think he it's mission accomplished on that front and I actually think they're going to be successful especially in this transfer portal era how soon I don't know but you asked him about expectations, Wilner. What are your expectations for Deion Sanders in year one? You know, I just want to see 
how he coaches and whether they look they look like a, a team that is well drilled. He's I think he's done a very good job hiring, especially on the offensive coordinator side. Sean Lewis is really good, uh, but just like Dion, the game manager, Dion, the you know I don't think he's going to have a problem motivating them, but getting them through the grind of of a you know a, a power five season. All, all those things. I'm just fascinated to see the guy at work at, you know, the, the art of coaching aspect of it. And, you know, I think, look, you, we look at everything Deion Sanders has done from endorsements to, you know, m- music to football to baseball. He's been successful at everything he's touched. And I think one of the things that plagues, I think, uh, you know, less experienced head coaches is, you know, the ego and the inability to let go of the offense or the defense, controlling, yes. wanting control of everything. I actually don't think Deion Sanders is going to have a problem with that because I think throughout his career, what he has done is he has sort of stayed where he is good and then hired people around him to take care of all the stuff he doesn't want to do. And I actually think his coordinator hires match that. So I think he knows he needs to be the face of the program. He needs to help in the portal. He needs to, uh, you know, have a lot of sound bites. He needs to sell tickets and raise money and sort of be the CEO of the program. I don't think he's going to have... You know, sleeves rolled up, elbows deep into all of this. I'm fascinated to see how it goes. But do you think they will be bowl eligible next year? Boy, it's tough. I mean, they got Colorado State is probably their, you know, quote unquote, most winnable game, right? I mean, they're starting off with TCU and Nebraska. So automatically, it's going to be a challenge to even get two and one in non-conference. And if you end up one and two in non-conference, you got to you got to go five and four to get bowl eligible. So it's going to be very interesting and in how the Colorado fans react if things don't go great, right? I mean, everybody's got such huge expectations in Boulder right now, but what if they start 0-3, you know, yeah. or or 1-4? and 4? How How's it going to go at that point? That'll be real interesting. Well, I, I kind of look at the trajectory that Jonathan Smith took at, at Oregon State, and, you know, it was dismal in his first season. Yeah. I, but I think Colorado will be a little more talented, frankly, a lot more talented than that Oregon State team was in Jonathan Smith's first year because yep. of the portal and, and what Deion Sanders can do in the portal. But I initially put him at five wins. That's kind of where I set the number. I think Vegas will probably, you know, uh, because there's so much interest in this program, I bet you that the line will end up around five and a half uh, for the season total. We'll see where that goes. Uh, I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. I'm with the great John Wilner. How do they find you, Wilner? Bay Area News Group is the mothership, pac12hotline.com, and we are available at uh, media outlets across the Pac-12 footprint. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe. Share this with your friends, your family member, interested parties, and we'll be back with another episode.